Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cognicast. I'm excited to be able to use the new name of the show right from the beginning. It's the first time that we get to do that here on episode 41, featuring Robert Stutterford. As always, before we go on to the show, want to mention a couple things that are going on with Cognitects. For those of you in Europe, Stu Holloway and Mike Nygaard will be making appearances at several events around the continent. You've heard us talk about that before. We will be posting the entire lineup on the Think Relevance blog at thinkrelevance.com on October 1st. To excuse us, we're still in the process of moving everything over to Cognitech.com. So for now, that's the best place to uh, watch for information on all things uh, Cognitech. Um, also want to mention the Conj. Uh, regular registration has closed. However, late registration is open. Still a few tickets left there. So uh, if you're thinking about coming, I would highly recommend that you jump over to closure-conj.org and get yourself registered. Um, in addition, in, in conjunction with the Conj, we, Cognitech, are also offering training. We've got ClosureScript, Datomic, and Pedestal in the days prior to the conference. So you make one trip to Alexandria and you can take the classes and then come to the Conj. Uh, go over to closure-conj.org again and you can check out the details there. I think that about covers it for now, so we'll go ahead and go on to the episode. As always, I thank you for listening. Well, welcome everyone to Think Relevance, the podcast on today, Friday, August 23rd in 2013. And uh, with us today on the show is Robert Stutterford. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thanks. Um, so let's start off before we jump into anything else with your choice for an intro song. What would you like us to play? I'm going to go with a classic, Judith by A Perfect Circle. Right, Perfect Circle. That's the uh, the tool. Uh, what would you call them? Like a spinoff, follow-on? How would you describe them? To be honest, I thought uh, a perfect circle came first, actually, before Tool did. Oh, really? But, but what do I know? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's cool. Um, I don't. I don't know either. Uh, so, all right. Well, awesome. In either event, people are uh, listening to that now. They've heard it on the way in. Um, okay. So great. So, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I think we've got a lot of interesting things to talk about. But before we jump into those, maybe let's give you a chance to introduce yourself to any of our listeners that might not have run into you before. So, why don't you uh, let us know who you are? Okay, so I've been uh, uh, programming for about 15 years now with uh, many different languages, um, although um, now that I'm using Clojure, I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, and I'm the CTO for a startup in Cape Town called Cognition. Okay. Um, all right, so that's great. So uh, that actually kind of touches a little bit on why we wanted to talk to you. Um, I had actually run into you in a, in a podcast-related way um, at Clojure West, that's right. Back in, I guess that was what March of 2013. Yes. Um, so we were sitting. I was sitting talking to I forget who a colleague of mine I believe, and uh, you were sitting right in front of me, and you turned around and held up your laptop and said, "Hey, 
is this you? And it was the, uh, the podcast page. Um, yes. I, I assume you had uh, recognized my voice from, you know, uh, from the show. Yes, absolutely. I must admit, I'd, I'd always wondered what did this voice uh, look like, um, and I was, uh, it, it wasn't what I was thinking. You always imagine a different face for the voices you hear for the first time. I, it was really nice to get to meet you. It was nice to meet you too, and we actually got a chance to talk about um, so a bunch of datomic stuff, which was interesting. Um, so you were there, obviously, like you said, you've been started to use Clojure, you're also using datomic, and uh, I've been, you know, kind of following you online a little bit, and. Um, you know, running you on the mailing list and whatnot, and it seems that you're also using uh, Pedestal. Is that right? Yeah, Pedestal is still early days. Um, I've just recently wrapped up a, a research project just to get my head around it, um, but it looks like we will be using Pedestal in a major way in the future. Okay, so that that kind of uh, all of that together, uh, I thought, well, um, it's really always really interesting for us to talk to people outside of relevance who are using, you know, some of our favorite technologies. And here's someone who is interested, who is using Clojure, who is using Datomic, who is um, planning to use Pedestal and has been looking at it. So I thought we would have you on the show and uh, maybe have you talk a bit about your experience with those technologies, what you like, what you don't like, what, you know, what, how it's been, how it's helped, you know, all that good stuff. So uh, uh, maybe we could start with... Um, Talk you getting you a chance to talk about the problem that you guys are solving. Like at cognition, what do you do, and then how did that lead you to the technologies you're using and exploring right now? Sure. So my two founding partners, Barry and Patrick Caton, um, had been giving a critical thinking seminar at the the UCT uh, UCT, which is the the Cape Town University. Um, for a number of years and um, every time it was a very manual analog sort of pens on paper process um, and they thought can't, can't we make this into software somehow um, two or three years later after many failed prototypes um, I met them and uh, we started uh, looking at new ways to solve the problem um, and we basically ended up building a, a prototype using a PHP and Adobe Flex um, that prototype is uh, quite different to the product we have now, but um, uh, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are now unless we had gotten through that process. Um, and so the, if I could talk a bit about what Cognition actually does now, mm -hmm. um, it's a performance support tool. Um, you, you use it in a self-coaching manner, um, and basically instead of it, 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 it we're in the e-learning space, but we, we don't do traditional e-learning. Um, instead of trying to teach you facts, what we're trying to do is to get you to change your point of view. Um, Alan Kay is famous for having said, um, a change of view is worth 80 IQ points. Mm -hmm. um, and what our system is trying to do is to bring you as many of those different 80 IQ points as we can give you, or mm -hmm. as you're looking for. That's awesome. I could definitely use another 80 or 100 myself. Um, so, okay, so let's, I kinda, this is really interesting. So you guys, when you say it's e-learning, like what's the, what how, like what exactly what's the experience of the software so I, I open up i don't know if it's a service or or a, a th something i install or whatnot i i start using it and what is it what is it doing for me or to me or with me so um imagine you're a a manager in a, a big organization and you need to learn to deal with conflict resolution you've got two direct reports who are going at each other and they you you've just got no idea how to help them out um so you go onto our system um find the conflict resolution cog or cognitive guide mm. um, and um, basically start using the cog. And what, what a cog is, is just a scripted series of open-ended questions. 
um, to get you to essentially ask the right questions in, in the, you know, for the problem you have to solve and in the context you have. So, for example, it would ask you to unpack um, person A and person B's um, uh, experience reports um, and then have you do things like get A to um, reword what B is thinking and what B is, um, you know, have B reword what A is thinking and essentially take you through the, the cognitive process of doing a conflict resolution. Um, and uh, where it comes in as a performance support tool is that um, you can actually use it on the job rather than um, having to do a whole bunch of self-study before you actually get to doing this process. Hmm. I mean, this sounds like a really hard problem in the sense that, um, you know, it's it's operating at a very kind of human level, right? You have to yeah. be able to, <laughs> I mean, it's essentially psychology software, if I understand you correctly. That, that's that's a good way to think about it. Um, it. The way that we've sort of approached it is um, to take um, people who are coaches, so executive coaches or coaches, you know, life coaches, and to take the process that they follow when sitting across from you at a coffee table and to try and encode that into a software system that you can use on demand and in your own context and in your own time. Hmm. So um, I know, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, the one thing that uh, people are probably thinking is, well, what do we do with your responses that you type in? Um, and is there any sort of AI involved? Um, and at the moment, no. That all we're doing is capturing those responses um, and moving you, you know, forward through the process. Mm. Perhaps at some later point, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to do some crazy stuff with what you've typed. Um, but, but it's actually quite simple. It's just taking you through a series of questions and having you answer them. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. So, and that, and that you found that to be effective with your users? That's the sort of thing that they... They find valuable, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, is there? I, I, I'm really interested to try it out. Is there like a trial thing? I haven't. I'm a terrible podcast host. I haven't looked at your website yet. But uh, is there a way to like kind of check it out? There certainly is, and I can um, I can definitely give you access or give you give you the URLs that you need to follow, which we can put into the show notes as well. Cool. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll we'll throw those in the show notes. That'd be great. All right. Well, cool. So um, let's dive into the technology part a little bit. You're using, as we said, some of the things that we really like. We at Relevance really like uh, the uh, you know the trifecta, closure, uh, datomic, and obviously closure script. Since you'll be doing pedestal, so I wonder if you could talk about kind of how you came to work with those and what your experience of that stuff has been. So um, as I said before, our version one stack was with PHP and Adobe Flex. Um, and we started about six months before Steve Jobs essentially killed Flash. <laughs> um, and, but by that time, we were hopelessly locked in. Um, so when we, we proved the model and um, we got to the point where we could actually start building the version 2 stack, we, we decided that it was going to be with open technologies only. Um, and at that point, um, the best tool for the job, to my mind, was um, the Google Closure um, compiler and library just because of the immense amount of research in that library and, um, and in that compiler. Unfortunately, um, the Google Closure syntax is pretty much like writing Java, but with, you know, 20% more syntax. <laughs> which um, is saying something. Which is, which is saying something. Um, so I spent a couple of months uh, uh, getting uh, uh, 11, I got 11,000 lines into that. And then to be perfectly honest, I just lost steam. I couldn't anymore. Mm -hmm. um, uh, around that time, uh, we were evaluating um, new technologies to use on the back end because PHP wasn't really working for us either. Um, and then um, Chaz Emmerich's book um, uh, hit the front page of Hacker News. 
And I said, well, you know, I'd seen some of Rich Hickey's videos and they made a lot of sense to me, although I couldn't understand how I would apply them. Um, uh, grabbed that book and started reading. Uh, three weeks later, I'd read the book cover to cover and understood about 15% of it mm-hmm. um, and decided to, to, to give it a go. Um, and yeah, that was a year and a half ago. Okay. All right. Um, so how's it been? I mean, what's the, what's the journey from that point been like for you? It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, like I said, it, it feels like I'm just getting started. You know, I've, I've been programming for a good while, but uh, every day I feel like there's uh, ten more things, that, um, in, ten more interesting things to learn and do, um, and and uh, so many different things to try out and and experience the, the benefits of. Um, one of the recent ones is Corded Async, which I still haven't had the, the, the chance to get my head around, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. That's another one of the another one. And I, by the way, I feel exactly the same way. I mean. I've been really fortunate in my ability to do closure professionally for quite some time now. And it is great to f- both feel productive and feel like there's lots more really powerful stuff to check out, not having, you know, kind of not bumping up against those limits. So I, I'm experiencing the same thing. And, and Corey Sink is also, also on my list. You know, I've, uh, we've had Rich on the show talking about it and um, uh, also Brenton talking about how it might uh, – how it might work its way into pedestal, and they've had some initial success with that as they've been experimenting. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's cool stuff. So uh, I guess I wonder, was there? Do you think there was something about your problem in particular that closure spoke to you, or was it something about the way you think, or like what was it that when you came to it, you're like, oh, okay, this is the sort of thing that that I that I really enjoy. So um, in our previous app, we had tried to, um, uh, we basically, um, we had a hell of a lot of state to deal with. Basically, as, as you're working through a cog, you're generating, generating a lot of data. Um, and I wanted to, to find a seamless way to get that data into our database to figure out what we can figure out about it. For example, how far along the cog are you? Um, you know, where, where do you place on a leaderboard? If you're using a cog in a group, there's a leaderboard to show you know, who's done the most effort. Um, and to, to do all that sort of stats processing in the background um, and, and then to produce those web pages that use those stats. Um, so there's a lot of data that has to move back and forth all the time. Um, and in the, the version one stack, using completely different technologies, um, it, it was really difficult and there was a lot of time spent just plumbing things together. Um, uh, so when I first started with Clojure, I actually started with Clojure Script um, because I started rebuilding that, that JavaScript app. Um, and so from just about day one, I was using Clojure and Clojure Script um, in combination on both sides of the wire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that experience um, was um, uh, just so good. It was so great to, to be able to generate data on one side um, and consume the data on the other side of the network using exactly the same code on both sides. Um, it, it really just felt quite natural. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and of course, all all the usual things like um, immutable data and exposing your data rather than locking it up in class hierarchies, all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I felt the benefits immediately. Sure. So I guess I'd like to uh, unpack that a little bit because sure. one of the one of the uh, one of the reactions that I've had, and I think other people have had, is when they hear people with experiences like yours. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to wonder. Okay, so you wrote an app. And then you rewrote it. And do you think how much of the benefit that you realized was from, you know, changing the tool set and changing the way you approached it? Um, and of course, those are related. 
versus just writing it again, right? Because I mean, if I wrote something in Clojure and then rewrote it in Java, you know, I, I you, you wonder, well, would there be things about the Java version that would be better just because I had already done it once? What do you think about that? So you're absolutely right. And you, you know, you, there's a, a saying that goes, you always throw the first one away. Um, mm -hmm. And um, this is very, it, 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 that's definitely at play here. Um, but what Clojure gave us the ability to do was to get to, um, um, you know, get to winning with this, the, uh, the next version much quicker. Hmm. Um, and by comparison, that, that, that 11,000 line code base, um, I'd rebuilt the entire model with unit tests and everything in a couple of weeks um, in only 1,500 lines of closure. So um, although we, we did take a fresh approach, you know, we used event sourcing, um, whereas before we were using a document model, um, we, 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 the, the way the closure works um, made that process smooth and it, it continues to make it smooth even today. And you think that, and, you, and your opinion is that if you had just rewritten it using the same technology stack, that that would not necessarily have been the case? Um, I, I think we would have certainly gotten um, benefits out of uh, the rewrite, but uh, I don't think we would nearly, nearly gotten, uh, would not have gotten nearly all of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a fan, too. I just, I like to dig into that because, you know, one of the things I worry about is that I have so much fun in Clojure that I've, I've actually had trouble now going and trying to learn other things. Like, I only got halfway through the uh, the Haskell book, and it, and it wasn't really about, uh, you know, me not, me having negative opinions of Haskell or, or even the book, which was uh, Learn You a Haskell for a Great Good, which I highly recommend. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of hard to motivate myself now because I'm really happy. So comfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's why I ask you the question is because I really want to know, you know, like what, when we really think about it, are, what are the real advantages versus the, oh man, this is just fun, you know? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you, there's definitely an element of fun. Um, mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sure that there are other folks who use um, Haskell or other, you know, even object-oriented languages that have just as much fun building the things that they need to build. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, um, I've got two uh, developers who work with me who also come from, uh, you know, Python and Java and PHP. Um, and they, they, it's a very much a shared experience for all of us. We all feel more productive, um, more able to, to, to understand the system as a whole because there's just less of it to think about. Um, and um, uh, to use an overused word, we're, we're, we're agile. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Obviously, it's working for you. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. Um, well, I also want to talk about um, uh, Datomic because that's something that's sort of near and dear to my heart right now. I've been lucky to be working uh, with Datomic extensively for the last uh, about eight months now. So uh, kind of how did you come to Datomic and what's the fit with your system been? And I, like, how have you found it? Sort of the same questions we were talking about around closure. Yeah, so um, Datomic, um, it, I, I will admit that uh, right at the beginning it was a bit of cargo culting for us. We sort of just tried it on just for the sake of trying it on. Um, at the same time, we were evaluating um, using good old SQL and MongoDB, and we were spiking solutions in sort of all three spaces. Um, and the, the fit with Clojure in Datomic, as you well know, um, it's just so much nicer. It's just, it just fits like a glove. Um, um, also, uh, the, the fact that we are event sourcing um, 
um, and still basically storing all of our user events, um, it fit quite nicely with the, um, the way that the atomic model schema, um, you know, being able to have events with one or two attributes or events with 20 or 30 attributes, it was nice, mm -hmm. not having to be uh, stuck in, in um, as they call it, rectangles in right. the database. Yeah, actually, I wonder if we can uh, take a you know push push the push a topic on the stack, if you will, and talk sure. a little bit about event sourcing. Uh, I'm not always as up in the terminology as I should be. You said that you were using a document approach in your uh, prototype, your PHP uh, version, and you moved to yes. event sourcing. Can you can you explain those to me? Can you contrast those two approaches for me? So in, with event sourcing, um, instead of storing the composed document or all of the state that's in memory um, in that um, stateful UI, um, instead all you do is you store all of the user gestures. So, and that, that's as a time-ordered series of events. Um, so that when you want to come back um, and re, um, reopen a document or um, uh, you know, open a document to process it for, for some sort of calculation, all you're really doing is replaying those events in time order into your stateful code um, uh, and then uh, you know, doing the work that you need to do. Um, the, the reason that I, I sort of got there was um, we, in, in our version 2 app, we needed to build an undo-redo system, which we didn't have in the first one. Um, and uh, it's a lot easier to do that if you're recording all of your user um, gestures. Um, and it very quickly became apparent to me that, well, you know, why do I need to store a document at all if, if all I need to really store are these gestures? So, um, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So the main contrast is instead of storing that snapshot of the state as it is in memory, um, where you don't really have an understanding of how you arrived at that state, um, you store all of the individual events that 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 caused that state to um, occur. Um, and that's kind of how uh, Datomic works as well. You know, mm -hmm. and when you go and look at a an entity in in Datomic, um, you can look at all of the transactions or events that caused that entity to 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 come about. Although in Datomic, you do actually also store the, 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 the finished state as entities. Right. Okay, okay. So that makes sense, and it explains why Datomic would be a reasonable uh, a fit for you, because obviously you've got this time-ordered series of things, and Datomic is about storing time-ordered series of things, and there's low impedance between closure and Datomic, even regardless of that aspect. So that, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, um, so, um, there, there, there is a great, sorry to interrupt you, there oh yeah, is sure, a great yeah. article by um, Martin Fowler on event sourcing, which is kind of where I got the, uh, also got the idea once I realized it was a thing. Um, and we can put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I would definitely have to go check that out too. Um, actually, so if you're doing event sourcing, do you run into any trouble, when, you know, kind of recovering the, the aggregate state? I mean, you, you have to replay, if, presumably if you want to get to the, the final state, you have to start from somewhere and then replay a bunch of events. Yep. And one can imagine things like, you know, making changes to the code means that modulo going back in time through like a git checkout, you could arrive at a state that's different to the one that uh, you arrived at. With I'm with you. Yeah. So, so basically all of our events record the, um, the, the, the git um, uh, tag Gotcha. of the code that produced it. Um, and so we can basically go back in time, both in our code and in our data. Hmm. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, there's a bunch of stuff in there too because that obviously is very similar, or not similar, but at least it kind of uh, suggests codec, which we've talked about on the show before yeah. where you use Datomic to track 
the state of your uh, code through time uh, as it exists in Git. And yeah. then also I'm reminded too there of um, Simulant. I don't know if you've looked at that at all. Um, I have, but not to any um, deep degree. It's, it's, an, it's one of a very long list of things that I want to play with. <laughs> right. Yeah, I totally get you there. Uh, I mean, that's, for me, that's Pedestal and Core Async and, you know, nine other things. But, um, no, the thing, in, in, uh, the thing that reminds me in, uh, in Pedestal is that – sorry, what did I say Pedestal? I, I meant Simulant – is that you have this notion of a model and you use the model to generate – a sequence of uh, activities, um, mm -hmm. and they, uh, Simulant supports in the schema, uh, pretty sure this is true, yeah, I'm almost positive this is true, it supports in the schema um, a notion of storing the SHA of the, of the commit that you're running to generate that activity stream from the, um, uh, from the model. So it's, it's very much like what you're talking about where you're like, okay, well, we arrived at it we arrived at the state using this exact piece of code. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, the other thing that um, um, can be a problem with event sourcing in general is one of performance. Um, if you have an event log with thousands or tens of thousands events of events on there, um, and all you want to do is know some um, minor aggregated value that you get out at the end, mm -hmm. um, it, it can um, be you know onerous to, to process all of those events all the time. Um, and so you can use a, te a technique called snapshotting. Um, but because our um, the sort of the bounds of our event sequences are quite short, um, a, a single cog session, we've never actually had to do that. Um, so our, for our particular case, event sourcing has been quite um, um, suitable. Yeah, now that's interesting because I've had exactly the opposite problem at RoomKey. And, you know, they've been on the podcast. We've talked about the system yeah. a little bit. And I'm actually going to be present. This is my presentation at... Um, Strange Loop, where we awesome. talk about this a little bit. But yeah, that's where we have a really long event sequence, and we actually do have some derived quantity we want to get from the sequence of events. And uh, that was, um, that was a, we had a real challenge in figuring out how to do that uh, in a way that was going to the, 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 give us the performance we want. So we actually wound up using, uh, I don't know if, you're, if you've used this at all yourself, the... Uh, the index API in um, in Datomic? Not yet. Um, I, it, I plan on quizzing you about that soon, though. Uh, yeah, it's super cool, and I don't know if we want to go into that right now on the podcast, but uh, definitely be happy to talk to you offline about that because I think it's sure. it's really interesting capability of Datomic. Just briefly, not to <laughs> throw it out there and then walk away from it real quick, but Datomic gives you the ability to iterate directly over the indexes, uh, which is really powerful. It means that you can essentially get at the underlying data and manipulate it in ways that uh, just using data log uh, don't let you. So it's, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. So one of the, the issues I have with data log is um, the, the, the problem of paging. Um, and, you know, um, paging over a, a, a set is kind of pointless because you've already got the whole set in memory. Um, does, does walking the index happen lazily? Yes, it's lazy. Ah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and, and, it, and if okay. you right, and so as long as your queries, well, we, I guess we are going to dive into this a little bit because I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting wound up here. But as long as you're, uh, as long as the queries that you're replacing, because this is to some extent an either or scenario, right? You're either using the query API or you're using the gotcha. index API. Um, although that's not totally true. I mean, I don't know if people are aware, but the the data log engine in Datomic um, is not coupled to Datomic, you can run data log queries over just tuples in memory. Right. Um, but 
assuming that you want to rip out query or some query and replace it with direct access to the index, the only drawback is going to be that if you have queries that have a lot of clauses in them, um, you're going to have to do the join yourself because you're just getting access to the index. Uh, right. Right. So it's up to you to go, okay, well, I've got this datum, then this datum, then this datum, then this datum. And if you have a different set of datums that you need to consider as well in order to produce the answer you're after, it's going to be on you to do that. But, um, you know, you're going to be able to do that in a lazy way if if you need to, um, assuming that it's not important as part of the inherent process of answering the question to be able to simultaneously know all of the facts from one of the two uh, sets that you're you're joining. So it it sounds to me like you can basically break up the work, um, so that the lazy bit you can do lazily, and once you've got that question answered, you can then fall back to normal query or index or, or um, entity walking to get the rest. Oh, absolutely, they're totally composable because what you wind up with when you do index iteration is uh, you wind up with a uh, lazy seek. And actually, this is an important point. It's not only a lazy it's actually not a lazy seek. What you get is an iterable. So you can, okay. you can get to a lazy seek because seek is a specific abstraction inside of Clojure. Um, and the thing about having a Java Lang iterable is that it is reducible, which means okay. that you can use the power of Clojure's reducers library to get uh, a real bump in performance when you iterate over that thing. But regardless, the, you, you can... You can iterate over the index one datum at a time, so you're getting the entity attribute value time, you know, tuple yep. one at a time, right? And you're pulling, and it's not, it's pretty smart. Like, you know, the uh, datums in Datomic are stored in segments, which are these, you know, compressed chunks of the index that are all stored together, and they're retrieved all together, and they're cached. And I believe, although I don't know, I believe that, you know, when you get, as you're iterating, as you get an, uh, an index segment, the next one is going to be there before you need it. So the end result is that we got um, really good performance out of out of iterating. But yeah, you could absolutely lazily walk that, stop for a while and go, oh, okay, now I'm going to do something not lazy with the part I've already got back and then come back and iterate some more or keep track of where you were and then on the next request where like you want to pick up from where you left off as long as you keep track of, you know, like the entity ID attribute and uh, value where you were, you're going to be able to walk directly back to that point in the index. So it's it's pretty powerful. It sounds mega powerful, and I can't wait to find out how to do this. It's pretty easy. There's one API, seek datums, or there's actually two. There's seek datums and datums. Seek datums is kind of the lower level one. But but anyway, there's not, there's not much to it. It really is, here's an E, an A, a V, a T, the index I want to look at, and go. You just get back the iterable right there. So it's it's pretty straightforward. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's very hard to get me to shut up about this stuff right now. I'm super psyched. Me neither. It. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, uh, so you were you were talking about though about uh, cognition's use of datomics, so, and I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So, um, we yeah, but we're basically using datomic for everything right now. The only other um, uh, uh, storage we use is memcached for our session storage, um, and we're we're pretty much throwing everything into into datomic right now. Um, because we want to understand uh, everything in, in, in a sort of a single um, place, we want to be able to uh, join across all the different things that users do um, to, to paint a picture of our user activity. Um, it, it just made sense to us um, to put everything um, in there rather than using some other data storage for other things. 
um, and it's working out wonderful for us, or wonderfully for us. Um, we're, now that we've actually generated a whole bunch of data, and we've got a whole bunch of data in the system, we're now able to start um, asking um, sort of analytics questions about our data. Um, and that's proving quite a lot of fun to do with data log as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. So I, I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned a couple things that have been um, advantages uh, for you around Datomic, and uh, the couple things were... Um, well, the one I specifically remember is you said it's low friction when you're already using Clojure. Although, of course, there's APIs available for you know Java and also REST from, from other languages. But um, uh, what are the other things like that you're like, okay, this is a thing that uh, is really helping us, that's making it easier or maybe even that we couldn't do other ways? Um, that's a good question. And there, there are a number of uh, uh, things. Um, and now, of course, I can't think of one of them. Um, <laughs> uh, let's let's circle back to that one in a minute. Sure. Well, let's go the other way then. So, are, has there been anything in the process of, and this let's take consider this across the whole stack, everything you know, closure, closure script, atomic, whatever, where you've been like, all right, that was a bit of a rough patch. I wish that was a better experience. Or man, if we only had X, it would be it would improve our lives. Is there anything along those lines that you have run into? So um, there have been times in, in Clojure where we've gotten a bit stuck, um, uh, mostly um, because we're, we're sort of doing things that people haven't, or, or that people that isn't really well documented. And there's been a, num- been a number of times where we haven't understood um, how the APIs have worked. Um, I, uh, for example, in Datomic, I butted my head against the, the aggregates um, uh, mm. uh, stuff. Um, Admittedly, though, I, I did um, jump in when it was still alpha, and, and I was um, duly warned um, <laughs> on, on the, the list, but that didn't stop me from trying, I guess. Um, overall, um, the learning curve, getting into Clojure, is, is still pretty steep. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, we've, we've had a couple guys come and help us out um, in, in recent times, and, and they've had difficulty getting in. Um, I, I guess the, the editor support is still, um, you know, it's, it's everybody's favorite bugbear. Sure. Um, if, if, if you're willing to spend the time learning Emacs or Vim and get um, the, the benefits of PowerEdit, um, then, you know, um, you're okay. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically just that, that initial learning curve that was quite tough for all of us uh, at the beginning. But, you know, once you, you get past that, then you, you get, um, as Stu Holloway said in his one talk, you get those alien superpowers, um, and uh, um, things do become a lot better. That's right. So as I mentioned, you and I met at, in person at Closure West, and I, I, I really enjoyed the conference. And one of, my, one of my favorite parts there was Rich gave a, a keynote where he talked about, um, uh, you know, Rich is a musician. Like he's a, <laughs> he's a pretty good musician. He, you know, his background, his schooling, at least his initial schooling, was uh, in music composition. And he talked about closure as being a, um, the analogy being an instrument, right? Yeah. And how, you know, he had this funny picture at one point. Where, by the way, do you know is his keynote available yet? Like on, has it come out yet? Not yet. I, I think it's going to be the last one they release. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty good. But anyway, he gives he has a great picture there at one point where he's like, you know, one of his favorite bands is the Foo Fighters, and he has a picture of the Foo Fighters, and instead of guitars, they're holding kazoos, right? Yeah. <laughs> where the where the point is. I remember. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's like, you don't want to be the kazoo fighters, right? Like the the, the point is is that um, you know, the we should see languages as instruments and treat them as something that needs to be mastered because that effort will 
pay off. It's not, you know, you can spend an hour in learning to play the kazoo, but it's not the same as putting in your 10,000 hours on the guitar and really becoming, you know, good at that instrument. So, um, and I, that kind of rings true to me. I mean, in the sense that I have spent a lot of time learning Emacs um, and becoming proficient. I did a lot of time learning closure, but I don't re personally regret that time because yes, it's a barrier to just walking up to it and being able to bang stuff out, you know, immediately. But, you know, I'm a professional and I want these to develop these skills. And as a result, I can do things that I couldn't otherwise do. I, I think that's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. Absolutely. I, I you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the whole um, practice makes perfect thing. Um, uh, having played um, drums for many years myself, mm. it, that's definitely not something you can just do from day one. You have to put the hours in. Um, but when you do, then you, then you get to make a hell of a noise and, and really enjoy doing it. Um, and sometimes that noise makes sense to people. So, uh, but yeah, in, in terms of uh, uh, learning closure, it is it really is a bit of a rite of passage. Um, but it, it's it, it's a good one because it, it teaches you um, many of the things that are are, are true for for um, you know functional programming and immutable data and all of those things. Um, as somebody who was in object oriented land for a long time in in Ruby and in .NET, um, um, I had to learn those things, and, and those things needed time to sink in. Um, and you know, so going going through that process that uh, of starting slowly and building up, um, you you allow time for those things to settle in and for those things to become, um, I guess, second nature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's been loads of fun, and I don't regret a second of it. Though. Yeah, me either. Uh, <laughs> all right, cool. Well, um, let's see. So I guess uh, I want to make sure we talk about one other thing because uh, you know when you and I were kicking around the idea of talking on the show and everything. One of the things we mentioned was that, uh, oh, Pedestal, you've been looking at that. And I actually noticed that somebody, uh, I know you were very modest and you said, oh, I'm just learning Pedestal. But somebody had uh, tweeted at you that, uh, you know, oh, I just, I just got a really good lesson on Pedestal from Robert. So uh, obviously you've been spending some time with that. I wonder if you can uh, talk about your experience and what you've learned and what you see and what you think needs improving and kind of where it's at and, and how you're able to leverage it. So, um, Pedestal is great. Um, I, I really enjoyed the, the talk that Tim Ewald gave at um, uh, Closure West, although at that point I didn't really understand much of what he was talking about. Um, I think they were still uh, buttoning down the terminology and the way that, the, you know, the way that they tell the story back then. Um, and um, it had always been on the list um, you know, of, of things to, to evaluate and, and have a look at. It was only until um, uh, Brenton and uh, Ryan re released that um, fantastic tutorial of theirs that I really got serious about it. Um, and uh, once I've managed to work through that tutorial and, and really uh, get to grips with the, all of the moving parts, um, did it start to make sense to me. Um, but now that it does, um, especially after having done um, a couple of closure script apps um, sort of the wrong way, and I'm quoting in a, you know using air quotes there, <laughs> um, it, it, I really see the benefits um, of, of the way that they've done things. Um, uh, that, that tweet was from uh, Malcolm Sparks, who um, is also now in the process of learning uh, closure. And all I really did was talk him through um, that the, the, the diagram that appears on the very last page of the tutorial. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it was great fun to do because it helped me, um, to sort of solidify my thinking around it and to, to, to sanity check that I actually do have everything um, lined up in my head. Uh, as, as for its potential, um, there's still plenty of work to do in the framework, not framework, in the library, um, um, you know, in terms of the development tools and, um, 
the performance and all the testing capabilities. Um, but what they've got there so far is is um, really great. And um, in, in the, the prototyping that I've been doing, um, um, I've been able to do quite a lot with um, um, a hell of a lot less code than I thought. Hmm. That's cool. Um, I, I, this is a question. So I... Pedestal remains on my list of things that I would really like to spend time on, but that I have not yet uh, made time for. So I wonder sure. if you have any advice for beginners, either ways of thinking about it or like techniques for learning that helped you or just anything that when I finally do sit down to write something will will help me get my brain around it. Um, uh, so there's a couple things. Uh, there was one, I can't remember who said it, probably Brenton um, on the list. Um, think of the, the data flow engine as a really fancy closure reference type. It's basically a way to um, modify state uh, in memory, but in a structured, coordinated way. Um, just like there are, um, you would with refs or with atoms or with, um, with agents. Um, it's just that it's um, you know, um, a little bit more complex. Um, the other thing to remember is that you don't have to eat the whole elephant at once. Um, you can um, use the data flow just with transforms um, and, and ignore derives and continues and effects and emitters. Um, you know, you can, you can start slow and, and build up the concepts in your head sort of one bit at a time. And if you do that way, you know, each, each piece is simple by itself. It's when you bring them together that um, the magic happens. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice: is to one one step at a time. Okay, that's actually super helpful. I don't I don't know if I would have uh, uh, tried to just do an app ignoring all other stuff if I had just started on my own. Although I'm I plan to follow the tutorial at some point, and hopefully, although I haven't looked at it, hopefully it leads you through in that route. But that's really good advice. The tutorial basically does do that. Um, uh, you know, you, you obviously the 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 the, the sophica- sophistication and the apps that you build with just transforms will not be um, terribly uh, complicated. Um, it's when you, as I said, when you bring it all together that you get to do um, you know interesting things. Um, but uh, you know, as you're learning, you don't need to build complex things, do you? That's a very good point. Uh, well, this is great. that's actually a really great explanation, and so I think I'm going to ask you another one uh, that might help a few other people out there, which is. How would you, what's the, in your mind, what's the elevator pitch? Like why, you know, I've got my way of doing things, you know, why would I want to look at pedestal? What's the, what's the big bang? What's the thing that it lets me do or things? Um, so I, I wouldn't use it, um, in, on a, on a, a website where you're augmenting, um, multiple pages, um, so much because, um, the, it, it's quite heavy, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a heavy duty state management tool. Um, and you don't really have that much data to deal with when you're augmenting pages like you would, would with jQuery. Um, so for single page apps, um, that, that would be one criteria. Um, the, the other thing would be, um, you have a lot of state coordination that you want to do in, in the browser on the client side. Um, and you don't want to have to fight through um, uh, doing that the, the same old way with you know, PubSub or whatever the case may be. Um, if you've got a very simple app on the client side, then it might also be overkill. Um, and the third one, um, performance. Um, there, there's a great trick that Brenton um, or, or the guys that you guys at Relevance recently did with the web workers, which was just amazing to me. Um, being able to actually split um, the, 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 you know, the processing load up over um, the main rendering thread and then on, uh, everything else on the web worker. Um, that, for me, that would be a compelling reason to look at it all by itself. Sure. And that's that. And the, I, if I understand it correctly, I've heard Brenton talk about this a little bit. The, the win there is that because 
uh, pedestal does a good job of defining the layers in your in the client side of your application. It enables you to split things off into a web worker in a, in a logical manner, so that yes. you you can take advantage of that. Because I I don't real I'm not really a front end guy, but I believe that the ways in which you can use web workers are pretty constrained. Like you have to have like this really encapsulated piece of code and a very clean sort of messagey interface between that and the stuff that runs in the usual context in the browser. That's right. Um, you, you, your, your web workers are essentially, it's a separate um, uh, JavaScript entirely. Um, and the only way you can and tell it to do things is by passing messages via, via a callback. Right. Um, happily, Pedestal coordinates all of its um, um, work through queues of messages. Um, so, um, you know, sticking a web worker boundary in the middle um, really wasn't much work for them to do at all. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Brenton. Uh, <laughs> I'll let Brenton say whether that was on purpose or uh, or just a nice outcome of the of the separation. We'll we'll, we'll give him credit for um, until we hear otherwise. We'll give him credit for having done that on purpose. Yes. <laughs> um, awesome. So I I don't want to keep you too much longer. You've already been super nice to come on uh, and, and talk with me as long as you have. But I do want to make sure that if there's anything else you'd like to talk about before we, uh, before we wind down and ask you about the outro music that we get a chance to do that. What else, what else should we talk about? Um, so uh, if, for anybody who's listening to this and hasn't uh, sort of taken the plunge into clergy yet, um, or Datomic, or uh, you know, any of these things, um, my recommendation, if you're hesitant, is just to Give it, a, give it a week, give it two weeks, and give it a try. Um, I'm, I'm almost convinced that you'll come out of those two weeks um, with the conviction that you, you need to use this more um, and that you'll get great benefit out of it. So, you know, if, if you're unsure, if you're on the fence, just give it a try. Um, there are many people, the community is great, there are many people who are here, you know, just waiting to help you and teach you all the things that we, we enjoyed learning. Um, yeah, so that, I guess if there's one thing I'd like everybody to hear, it's that. Awesome. Um, and then, uh, yeah, um, the other thing is um, if there's anybody listening to this and you're in Cape Town, unlikely, or in, in South Africa in general, um, we do have a user group going down here in Cape Town. And if you're ever in Cape Town, you're most welcome to join us. Cool. How can they find? Is there a URL? I mean, we'll put it in the show yeah, notes, but you yeah. can go ahead and say I'll give it. I'll give you all those details. Oh, you can go ahead and say it right now in case it's uh, easy to um, remember. Uh, we've got a Twitter account, but I can't remember the order in which the words appear. Okay. <laughs> well, people can reach you on Twitter. I think you're at uh, Rob Stutterford. Is that correct? Yes. And that's R-O-B-S-T-U-T-T-A-F-O-R-D. So they can always reach out to you. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Well, oh man, this has been great. Like I knew, I mean, you know, we talked for a little while at uh, Closure West and I'm like, oh, Rob's a really nice guy. And, but it's really, really uh, enjoyed hearing you explain like what you guys are doing with the tools and your experience and uh, especially enjoyed like your summary of, uh, of Pedestal. I thought that was super awesome, really kind of clarified things in my head even more. So I had to get off my butt one of these days and actually sit down and do something that you know, that means not doing something else as always. So I got to yep. just decide what that is. But uh, that's been <laughs> great. So really, thanks a ton for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. We'll have to have you back again sometime. We could hear in, you know, a few months, a year, whenever it is that, uh, uh, you know, you guys have had more success and maybe there'll be some new thing that you are once again pioneering the use of and, and give a chance to give people your experience on that too. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Um, well, so before we go, then, I have to ask you uh, what kind of music or what song, rather, we should play on the way out here. Another rock classic, um, Daughter by Pearl Jam. Okay. All right. Wow. This is like 
music from my college days is great. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, does, so does Pearl Jam have any particular resonance with you, or is it just a... Uh... It's just one of, a, one of many bands that I, I used to um, listen to and play when I played the drums. That's cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So uh, actually, I have to mention this too, as long as we're talking about music. Uh, you, uh, you had pinged me the other day and said, oh, I, was, I listened to the episode you were on and uh, I had never, you had never heard of uh, Dream Theater. Yeah, no, that was amazing. I've uh, really enjoyed listening to the music. It's great. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, you know, <laughs> as we said, they're, they're one of my favorites. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, got to thank you again a ton for taking the time today. This, I guess it's this afternoon for you, this morning for me, mm -hmm. um, for coming on. And uh, looking forward to uh, running into you again, hopefully at a, at a, at a conference in person. Uh, are you by any chance going to be at Strange Loop? Uh, not at Strangeloop, I'm afraid, but I'm, I'm hoping to make it out to Closure West again next year. All right, great. We'll hope to see you there then. And uh, like I said before, thanks a ton for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And this has been uh, Think Relevance, the podcast. Thanks to everyone else for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>